millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Across the UK, online and on DAB. <laughs> Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. Femba can go to hell. Topical talk, outspoken opinion and inspirational conversation on the Hour of Badass Power. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators but no one compares. Minter, Campbell and Sexton are your all new Saturday night super squad. Badass Women's Hour on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. One, two, three. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions you can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter and I'm joined by my co-hosts Emma Sexton and Natalie Campbell and we'll be here with you for the next hour talking about all things that have grabbed our attention this week including the BBC Big Week for the BBC, lots of stories there. Uh, Advertising, is it stereotyping us? Are we being held back by the visions we see in adverts and beer? Is it for girls? Uh, But our first story this week, Nat, what is it? So the first story this week, it's been the hot topic across every every news platform, uh, is the BBC and firstly, the first female um, Doctor Who lead. So the first Doctor, the 13th Doctor, is a woman. Um, And that sort of caught coverage. Uh, But it was then followed up by the BBC releasing their pay figures, and it was their pay figures for anyone in the organisation that earned over £150,000. Uh, the talent in the organisation, we should say, not the exec and management. No, but it, yeah, the whole thing has exec and management. Oh, yes, it's I everyone. Read that it, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, okay, it, I'm going to have to read it. So read the actual. So it, it, it separates talents. So you have the EastEnders stars, what they earn. You also then they have the executive, so the people that lead on BBC Worldwide and digital and all these other things. Anyone that earns over £150,000. What it obviously also showed was the massive pay gap between men and women but equally the pay gap between those of of the BAME community so black Asian and minority ethnic community and white people basically Uh, and I mean it was horrid reading it was absolutely I mean I I expected a gap I, I knew there'd probably be a gap because it's just the way the world is unfortunately but to know that Chris Evans is on at a minimum 2.5 million because we don't know what he gets from all of these other organizations yeah. and the next highest woman earns 450,000 is just ridiculous to me the thing that most pleased me actually was the highest earning woman is Claudia Winkleman because I love her so I was go Claude's but I was absolutely horrified at the gap mm-hmm. like you said the gap between that 450 to 2.2 the sheer 
lack of women yep. and then the sheer lack of people who are non-white. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is that about? Because mm. it wasn't actually even just that, you know, I mean, it was shocking that I think the highest earning is George Allegaire at 250,000. Mm-hmm. Highest earning is George Allegaire at 250,000. That was shocking enough in itself, like 10% of what Chris Evans is getting. But the reality is, there are only 10 of them on the list. Or that next, it might have been Trevor Nelson. He was in that bracket of up to 300,000. Okay, maybe a bit more. Sure. But yeah. it's, still, it's still ridiculously it's ridic- small. It's yeah. small. The it's numbers a... are ridiculously small. It just it was, it was made me feel really icky. Mm-hmm. It's a real representation of what I feel is going on in society at the minute where there's a lot of talk about gender and everyone's really focused on gender and the disparity around gender and everybody is forgetting BAME. Mm-hmm. And I think that the BAME is more important. It's, it is about diversity in general. Mm-hmm. And there's too, way too much focus, I think, on gender gender at the minute so one of the things i said in so on that morning we were both on um the today program and one of the things i said to a woman that's releasing a report for the cmi uh on um pay and equality in terms of BAME equality across all all of the workforce is that we need the gender diversity lobby to stand up and start including BAME and start saying, actually, well, women are, aren't paid as much, but actually if you're a black woman, you're paid less than a white woman. And they're not doing that. And I don't think it's good enough. I think we all need to stand up together because unless we take on the fight together, it's not going to happen. I agree. And we've sort of said this about men for years. We've said, men, we actually need you to get behind this and we mm. need you to stand up and support it for women. And I think it's exactly that point, which is women have to actually look at what are the other minorities here and how can we help them as well? Yeah. Because then we become a much bigger lobby. Mm. We outnumber them. We outnumber the white men. Do together. you think the men care? So I wrote a piece today saying, actually, I just don't think they care. It's not in their interest. that They're at the top of the food chain. It's not in their interest to change things because they've made more than enough money for the last few years. I didn't really see many male presenters stand up and say, I'm going to fight for my female co-presenter. They didn't say yeah, anything. There's too much defensiveness, though, isn't there? Like you said, I just think that men, just men sort of go on the, I'm being attacked, I'm being attacked. It's very difficult for them to change that stance from defensive to go, yeah, you know what? This is really bad. I can't imagine Chris Evans coming back coming out and saying I shouldn't be paid 2.2 million he's just also, not going to do it is he the one thing that I do think about this which is if somebody said congratulations Harriet we'd like to give you a show and it's going to be 2.2 million a year anytime you like talk radio <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say thank you very much and I take the money yeah but I'd, I would I'm you not, would no I'm not saying that I wouldn't do that but if I found out that the person sitting next to me doing the same job as me wasn't pay- being paid the same I would fight for them because we're in it together but also who are the agents because I I look back over my career and I can definitely go I'm not negotiating very well I definitely think Chris Evans was probably at the point in his career where he's like do you know what I'm not even interested in doing it unless you pay me 2.2 million so he's in a strong negotiating power and he has the right pull to to make the business impact but I look back on my career and I'm like if I'd have negotiated harder I would have been paid more Harriet disagrees she's going to fight you on this no not just that but actually the other thing that's really interesting about Chris Evans is he wasn't Right, when he got the gig at Radio 2, he was not in a strong negotiating place. Mm. Was he not? He'd been no. out in the wilderness for years and years for being an alcoholic, yeah. for being a complete nightmare to work with, you know, and at, he hadn't been able to get a gig. And somehow he got into Radio 2. I don't love his morning show, but apparently it does really, really well. Um, he got into Radio 2 and from there he leveraged it and he got into Top Gear. And that's not about him having a massive negotiating platform. He doesn't have a big audience that he was bringing with him. Mm. He didn't have, you know, he wasn't at somebody else and they had to poach him. He was just mates with the right people. Yeah. Well, he was mates nah, with the right people. I kind of disagree because I think no one's going to pay you 2.2 million unless you are at least adding that much or double that value. That's just how business works. 
Uh, I don't know because I feel like I, maybe this is me. I feel like if I was employing one of you guys and you were like, Harriet, is there budget to bump this up a bit? I'd be like, do you know what? Go on then. Yeah, there is. Because we're mates. We were I'd mates, but deal. in business and traditionally in business, I think less so now, but traditionally in business, the, the goal has always been you pay people as little as possible and they work. you work them as hard as you can. You make the most amount of money out of them. So I look back at my career and when I've gone, oh, I just want to get paid 40 grand and then the other guys got paid 60 grand, I should have negotiated harder, but I was shit. I was rubbish at negotiating. And I, I think a business w- wouldn't, won't go, oh, but Emma's really amazing. They'll be like, brilliant, we've saved ourselves 20 grand. Yeah. Like, I don't even think it's personal. I don't even think that that is them paying me less because, well, maybe, it, well, I don't know. Anyway. They are. They're paying you less because you're a woman, I mean, They absolutely totally are. And they, like, feel angrier at you for asking. And that, when I say they, I don't actually mean men. So we all the research shows men and women are much more receptive to men asking for ridiculous sums of money than they are women. Mm. I've heard the much excuse, oh, receptive. well, they've got a family to support, so they need to be yeah. What? <laughs> That's yeah, probably I what I got in my career. I like to say, I, I want to get a puppy. I need some puppy money for the puppy. <laughs> uh, so our second story this week is stereotypes in advertising, because I actually think this feeds into it, which is the advertising stereotypes we see around us, that woman being everything. So she's there, she's clearing up after a whole family, she's rushing off to a high-powered career, or the man being a bit useless, not really knowing how the washing up works, um, anything like that. All these stereotypes, the Advertising Standards Authority are now saying they're going to crack down on them and go back to the companies that produce these ads and say it's not good enough, you can't show it, you need to come up with something else. Do we think this is a good thing, Nat? I'm going to say yes. Uh, I've often sort of you know had a head scratch when i see a advert of a mum doing the washing up saying something very patronizing to her young daughter and it it does it reinforces stereotypes that you know for the for the most part are outdated you know everyone does washing up nowadays i would hope anyway um i do think it requires some kind of regulation in order to in order to make things change because we're seeing advertisement getting worse in some cases from your protein okay chloe kardashian love that one (laughs) but but protein world you know just doesn't really care they'll stick any woman on and say well any skinny woman with bucks and boobs and and stuff and say this is the ideal body that you need to have and i think we've seen some terrible adverts uh in in recent time so i think regulation is important i do also think that as much as we don't I don't think I take in advertising. Advertising is a lot of airtime on a channel. And for young children that are sitting there in the same way they decide they want a Polly Pocket or whatever the new toy is at Christmas because they've seen it on TV, they start to internalise those things that they're seeing. Emma, you've worked a lot with the ad industry. Do you think, is this going to kind of stifle creativity? Oh, no, definitely not. I think the thing that always cracks me up is like, what, we need a regulation for this? <laughs> like, really? And I, I, but, you know, I think it's good that there's three things they're focusing on. One is um, about anything that depicts family members creating a mess and the woman has the sole responsibility for mm. cleaning that up, which mm-hmm. we all see. And add that specifically... Um, 
sort of implies that a, a, an activity is inappropriate for boys because it's stereotypically associated with girls, really important. Mm. But a third one that I think is equally important, we know about women in advertising, a lot of conversations, but there's also the way men are depicted. So this is if you feature a man trying and failing to undertake simple parental or household tasks. Yeah. And I think that's really, really important. You know, men are kind of seen, as, you know, they get so much praise if they look after a child mm. for a day. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Stop. And also, but actually we really, in advertising, we do really mock men so we know the man mm. we show the man who doesn't know how to work the hoover or the man who's juggling his kids and making a mess of it mm. and then in the background there's the woman kind of looking on me like oh just wait for me to swoop in because yeah. this is my area no stuff that oh, it's and then they, both of us they end up on the sofa sleeping after their hard day's work yeah. you've seen that one with yeah. the kids all over them yeah i mean they're always played as like sort of, they're either played as some like really heroic masculine james bond person coming out of the sea or wearing some amazing watch or they're seen is like this blundering idiot who hasn't yeah. quite got his life together. I'm like, no. So we're keeping on the advertising theme here because our next story is about, well, it's about, I guess, a bit of product placement that I think is, quite frankly, bizarre. But Emma, you're a fan. Well, you, I, I don't, actually I haven't caught up with that on this, but Harry and I, before the show, were talking about this article. So uh, there's a, a female founder. Uh, let me find her name. Her name is Martina Simarova, and she is the creator and founder of Arosa, which is a new beer, which is a representation of women's strength and girls' tenderness. And Harriet totally rolled her eyes. I, I mean, was a bit can like, we just say that again? A representation <laughs> of women's strength and girls' tenderness. But what? I, you know what? So the beer industry, yeah, for me, that. any brand that comes out and does the whole pink it and shrink it, like, oh, we've got this version of a product and we're just going to make it... We're gonna. Do, it's the same product where we're going to package it differently, maybe put some rose gold on it, charge you extra. I am not down with that. But this is a female brewer who has come up with her own beer and she's coming up with a more feminine angle on it. And I don't have a problem with that because you look at the beer industry, you look at beer in general, it's very masculine. We don't have any problem with women coming up with apps that have a more feminine approach or a piece of technology. What's the problem with someone coming out with some beer that's perhaps been created by a woman and is more feminine again that's what prosecco is for but going back <laughs> we had this conversation around um feminist porn a couple of weeks ago i'm like i don't i don't i don't oh, get it oh no that's different oh, that's no. massively is, different she's put it in a beautiful bottle and she's now charging 10 pounds a bottle and yeah. it's not even a full pint she's she's basically a it's a, a female premium for something that she's going to make kind of look pretty if, if i want to drink something pretty i'll have a bulmers or whatever a, cop, a copper berg thingy and if I want to drink a beer, I'm just going to... I drink beer for the taste. If it tastes good, I don't need it to be femalized or feminized. The one thing I would say or... is I do think, like, traditionally beer advertising is very, very male-focused because they know that's their audience, that's who they're advertising to, that's the majority of their drinkers. And I think just thinking about how you can include women in that market without making a beer light, you know, without cutting the calories. I don't and know like, it's no, I don't know. Things have changed. If you think about all of the, you know, these local distilleries and breweries from uh, Brooklyn mm-hmm. to um, Camden Ale, I actually think they're actually, they don't point to gender. They don't do mainstream mass marketing. It's about quality product and taste. And that's what she should be focusing on. Fine, if she wants to appeal to women, great. But I'm, it's not going to make me buy it any more than it would anything else. What do you think this is? Would you buy a beer for women just because it's in a pretty package? Does that change our minds about it? Do tell us. You can tweet us at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour. Tweet us, tell us what you think. Would you buy it? Uh, coming up next, we are meeting Kathy the Bitch Brown, professional boss and all-round superstar. She's going to be chatting all the things health and giving us some knockout thoughts after this break. 
Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour. All the opinions we can muster on a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. And we are now joined by the fantastic Kathy the Bitch Brown. Hello, Woo! Kathy. Former professional boxer, PT, all-round superstar. Uh, Kathy, tell us, former professional boxer, how long were you professional for? So I got my professional licence in 1998. It was unheard wow. of back in those days. And I was pro for 10 years. Amazing. And you got to world number three, is that right? So I got ranked to number three in the world at flyweight. I uh, got the British and European title. Amazing. But well, I mean, I was having to fight in Europe a lot and mm. ship my opponents in all the time. And How did you get into it? How did you become a professional boxer? Uh, so uh, I got I started boxing because I was, I was raped and abused when I was 16. Wow. Uh, and I was determined that I was never going to let anyone bully me again like yeah. that. And uh, I needed something. It wasn't for the case that I would can knock people out yeah. it's more it develops this inner strength this inner resilience mm. and sport to me uh, helped me find myself and just made me feel I belong somewhere and I had a yeah. sense of belonging with boxing and it, it was a release of stress and anger for me I was very angry um, about everything but boxing was just a great release and obviously then I took it a million steps further <laughs> and got my pro license how did you feel in your first class and the first time you ever hit a bag what was that like for you did you know instantly you were like this is it for me or were you a bit like, I don't know what I'm doing here it's um, an unexplained amazing feeling when you punch a bag or a pad uh, <laughs> it's it's I can't quite put my finger on what it was. It's just this amazing endorphin release, and it's just you feel great, and it's sort of you start to feel in control and empowered about yourself again. Not to sound woo-woo, but I almost describe something like that as it's an energy transfer. So, you know, with physics, energy must transfer from one thing to another. And in the same way, if you shout, you sort of feel like it's a release. The punch, the hit, the transfer of that energy from your body radiates through to the thing that you're hitting. And that's the the movement that you did. You you sort of move from centre out. And that's what I think. Mm. That's it. And so I'm guessing over 10 years, years. it just yeah. comes from sort of Cathartic. the soul. It's, yeah. it's, it's just a beautiful feeling. Is it the same thing to hit an actual person? Like, that feels like a big step. To um, go from so a I pulled box. a face out, by the way. <laughs> 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 um, right, so boxing isn't for everyone, when, as in punching people in the face isn't for everybody. Um, I personally love it. <laughs> I get quite a kick out of hitting someone really hard in the face. It feels so good when you knock someone out. But... Um, it's not something I tell, it's not for everybody. So everyone who, the women who come and do my boxing classes, it's pad work. Yeah. Um, if they want to do the advanced sparring class, they can come and do that. But I don't push women into punching each other in the face mm. um, because there's other forms of getting rid of your anger, which is safer. <laughs> um, I, just, I just obviously took it, that's a few stages further. And so now you are a PT and trainer and you t- teach other women to box. Did you know that was going to be the next step for you? No, actually, I was quite... At the time, I was just focused on my professional boxing career. Uh, It was only when I finished boxing. um, I had neural damage in my neck. And I was told I had to retire. So I got really depressed uh, because everything I'd relied on for my strength, Mm -hmm. my confidence, had just been literally taken away from me. So I had to find a way to sort of cope with that. And I had to think, right, I need to do something and I need to maybe help other women... 
and then I studied sports psychology and then I understood the mind more and then I started working with women because I started to understand sort of your mind is a very complex thing and mm -hmm. it's, a, it's very powerful over your body about of everything your actions your behaviors so it's it's that's where I knew it was my natural step forward you call yourself the soul trainer. I thought it's really interesting the way that you're, you find your clients' physical well-being is just as important as their mental well-being. Mm. And you're trained as a cognitive behavioural therapist, yes. is that right? Yeah. And so do you integrate that into your personal training sessions when you work with your clients? Like, How do you, how do you work with their body and their mind? I do a lot. I mean, you get when I was doing personal training with women, a lot of women, they tend to naturally open up to you during the session anyway. So it was a natural thing for me to do, to say, well, right, let's sit down and we'll talk before we start the session. Mm -hmm. I'll give you some CBT forms to fill out. If that's if the, you know, if that's yeah. what they felt. Because sometimes women don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. They might just want to come and hit stuff, and that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but sometimes they just, when they start hitting, then the tears start rolling, mm -hmm. and then they have a bit of a breakdown. Then you sit and talk to them. Mm -hmm. Then you sort of do step-by-step -step CBT. I do a lot of emailing. I'll send them forms. They fill it in. I get to know them better. And, you know, CBT is very simple. It's sometimes a very simple thing to do. Sometimes when you're involved in your own life, you just don't see what's mm -hmm. happening. You get CBT gives you the tools to do it yourself. So you take a step back, have a look at my life. How can I make this better? How can I change my thought process on something that I'm doing? And basically give you the props to do that yourself without relying on me. Mm -hmm. I... I can you tell me more about how you've built your own sense of resilience and grit to be able to support women to do that? Because I feel like, you know, you've already told us about two very traumatic experiences and you're still here fighting and supporting other women. So where does that come from and how do you pass it on? It's um, it's locking into what's happened to you and not seeing yourself as a victim ever. Mm. Um, life is just terrible sometimes and you have to think, right, this isn't personal. I have to use this. How can I use this to, to make me get over it? I'm not going to wallow in the corner and lick my wounds. Mm. I might do for like a day or feel sorry for myself for a little bit. That's normal. Mm -hmm. But actually, I'm not going to let this defeat me. And I need to find somewhere to lock into. So I lock into times of, you know, sexism I've had with boxing and times when I was, you know, abused when I was younger. And I lock into those and go, I'm never letting that happen again. I'm never letting anyone bully me again. Mm. And in boxing, everyone was like, you can't do this. You're a woman. Women can't fight. Yeah, I'm going to lock yeah. into that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm going to lock into that, yeah. and that's what's going to power me forward because I'm going to prove all of you wrong. Mm. So that was my, and everyone's different. Yeah, but that's how I lock in. I lock into people who doubt me, and I'm like, lovely, thank you. <laughs> I love a little bit of negativity because you can just hold on to it and. You know, I don't wake up and go, oh, my God, my life's amazing. I'm really happy because sometimes I wake up and go, I feel really depressed today. Yeah. And actually, I'm really struggling with life. But I talk about it and yeah. I'm quite open about it. I don't suppress it. Suppression's toxic. Mm. So I speak to everybody about everything. Even when I'm teaching my class, I'm like, I've had a really bad day today, guys. <laughs> so just bear with me. And I'm quite open about everything. And I think as women, we should... Uh, I think I've heard a lot about women shouldn't be angry, uh, women shouldn't be this, and women shouldn't have these emotions. Well, yes, you should. Anger's part of being the human being. It's just about learning to accept it's part of you and talking about it. And when you talk about it, then it becomes not an issue. So one of the things we were talking about just before you came on air, which you shared with us, and you said, I'm really happy to talk about it, which is incredible, is IVF. Yes. And so you said you've been through 10 rounds yeah, of IVF? Yeah, 10 rounds, yes. <laughs> that is that takes incredible resilience mm, yeah how did you 
because also with that there's nothing you're not in control of it it's it's luck how did you deal with that? The, the, the not being in control of the IVF was the hardest thing for me. Yeah. Um, I had to kind of roll over and let it just happen. Because um, you are, once you're kind of in, in the sort of hands of chemistry, mm. uh, it was really difficult. Um, and nobody quite understands unless they've been through it, the heartbreak and actually how you're feeling. I mean, you're injecting estrogen and progesterone in your body tenfold and in yeah, your tablets and patches so it, it's it's really affecting your hormones and you want to kill people every single day <laughs> but you just you've got to just take a step back and think okay I've just got to get through this mm. and get this mask on and just go out there I think a, a lot of people lock themselves away again I was quite open when I was going through IVF and going look I'm struggling and my husband was great because we were like we talked about everything yeah, and did that talking, was that what kind of held you together when it didn't work? And how do you feel about it now, so you're a year on from the process? How are you and your husband and what kept you together? And how do you feel about it now? Uh, it's still heartbreaking. Uh, it's a year and a half later. Me and my husband talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and communication to me is the key to absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, and it's still quite heartbreaking. I still get like jealous and I mean to be honest Facebook uh, Instagram I've I've not unfriended people who have got children who have just been pregnant because they're putting kids pictures up constantly yeah. I'll just unfollow them yeah. because having that in your face constantly it hurts and you don't want to say to them can you stop doing that because obviously they've got this gift of life in yeah. their hands and I just don't want it in my face on my, you know, every day. So I just unfollow people, and there's there's certain things that you could do just to ease the pain a little bit. And do you now look for the other parts of your life? You're like, actually, if that's not a part of my life, I'm I'm going to put my focus and that attention on my relationship, on my work. Is that another kind of coping strategy? Uh, one of my coping strategies is to throw myself into a project, and mm -hmm. one I've just created an education course for personal trainers to teach them how to teach boxing mm -hmm. safely. Uh, which has been sort of okayed by the UK Education Authority, which is great. great. Oh. I've written a book, which is 50,000 words. I've mm. created an app, which is about to launch next month. Oh, what's so the app called? It's Boxology. Oh, nice. nice. The science of boxing. <laughs> great. So nice. that, that, I threw myself into that from when we stopped IVF, and, and that's where my head's been for the last year. Mm. Kathy, um, you are so. absolutely amazing. Thank, <laughs> Thank you for you. sharing all those stories with us. If people want to train with you or want to hear more from you, where can they find you? If you I mean, kathybrown.co.uk is my website, and you can contact me, and you can see what I'm doing. You can see my fight clips on there. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, if you want to contact Kathy, do you can find her at kathybrown.co.uk she's going to stay with us actually and help us with our next section which is of course our badass balls ups your problem page where we try and use our combined over 100 years of wisdom mistakes made lessons not learnt <laughs> to solve some of your problems generally we don't do this so well but we have some serious wisdom in yes. the room today <laughs> so I think we might be a better, bit better uh, so stay tuned for that because it's coming up right after this break Selling a little or a lot Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour, all the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minton. I'm joined by my co-hosts Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton. And this week we also have the fabulous Kathy the Bitch Brown in the studio with us. She's just amazing, amazing yeah. woman who I think we're all now a little bit in love with. <laughs> <laughs> so as ever, it is time for our badass bulls ups the point of the show where we try and solve your problems we do really try maybe this week we will have some good advice for you uh so our first question this week emma what is it so this is from roxanne and it came via our facebook page and she was saying that she's been doing some incredible things but she feels like she's not really stopping to appreciate what she's doing like she's constantly thinking what's the next thing what's the next thing what ne- what's the next thing and her friends have been saying to her you need to like just stop and appreciate how far you've come how much you've achieved and she's a bit like well I don't really know how to do that I don't do it what are some tips what can I do to to yeah to do that to acknowledge how far I've gone I think that's so hard particularly when because we do live in a culture of busy Mm. we live in a culture where it's like what else can you do how can you keep going what's the next thing and we don't really stop to appreciate a how fast time is going and b Mm. how much we have done in that time yeah Kathy, do you find you need some techniques or some ideas to actually make you stop and appreciate where you are? It's uh, it's I, I talk to a lot of my clients about this because they've always got their phone in their hand. Um, and what I try to do, I did some stuff with Lorraine Candy from Elle, and I said to her, I know this is going to seem really big, but put your phone down for 10 minutes and just walk around the block and just sit down for 10 minutes during the day just to t- reflect on everything because... If you've got your phone there, you're not seeing what's happening on the outside. And you just have to sit and take a breath, take it in, breathe. What's going on? How do I feel? 
and it that's how you are mindful when you're eating your food mm. I cut especially if I'm eating a big fat steak so I <laughs> I'll cut my steak I'll eat it I'll put my knife and fork down and I'll chew it maybe have a little bit of a sip of my wine and so that's just being mindful about eating mm. and it all has really good health benefits because your digestive system are lovely for it but also sort of in life if you're like really stressed with work and you're like, I've got so much to do, I've got so much to do, take 10 minutes, walk out and you'll come back and you'll be more productive. Just sit down and actually reflect on what you're doing. Matt, do you take time out to do that? Because, I mean, I've got my phone glued to my hand at mm. all times. Do you put aside time or do you just try and find it as it goes? Definitely. Um, so I'm, I was thinking about it this morning. I don't ghost my friends when I have a boyfriend. I ghost my friends when I'm working really hard and no one hears from me. And it is just because I kind of have to disconnect. And if I'm at home over a weekend, just the phone's away, it's charging, I don't really care about it. And then when I do feel like talking, I will engage. But I think going back to the, how do you manage the busyness? It's almost no, to know how far you've come, you need to know your starting point. So we've discussed, we've discussed this before, writing yourself a card at the beginning of, of the year or m- midway through the year saying thank you to yourself six months on and opening it at, si- at that six month point when you, f- you know, when you feel like there's more to do, actually realising that you've achieved some or half or a different trajectory to where you were six months ago helps give you perspective because that's what we lose in the busyness, it's perspective. Yeah, and actually that's really nice in terms of measurement because I don't think I do that enough mm. either. Like this really resonates with me and it's like how how do I measure like remember that success and if you haven't kind of benchmarked your where you've where you've been mm. you've got nothing it's a lot more difficult to kind of measure how far you've come I really like the Facebook reminders because it yeah. it did me a reminder two years ago of something that I said I wanted to do and I was like oh my god yeah I've done it <laughs> so one thing one change that Facebook have made that I really enjoy is that it's a nice reminder I don't like it when it brings up my ex-boyfriend though <laughs> <laughs> and I just say Facebook there must be an algorithm for that thanks <laughs> you know you can write yourself goals as well and, and mm. like not long term but short term yeah. and, and give yourself markers on those goals give yourself a why mm. always having a why yeah. to do something and then yeah. setting the goals towards that why and they could change you might be you might get halfway through the year and go actually i don't want to do that anymore i'm going to change it but at least you know then you give yourself little markers to go maybe through. a reward chart yeah definitely reward chart. <laughs> i might get one of those <laughs> like back in school with some gold stars <laughs> uh, okay thank you uh so nat what is the question you have this week so this one comes from Gemma, and she's asking about fitness and how she can get herself back in the gym she doesn't feel like she's in her best body she's feeling a bit uh, lethargic in her words she feels a bit flabby and I think we've all been there you've you know been on holiday or been really busy and you've just eaten whatever you wanted because time's not there and she wants to know how do you get started when you're at that point of not really being particularly motivated and not feeling great about the body you're in Kathy, this has got to be one for you. Yeah. I see this all the time, right? I think uh, people, uh, women especially are far too hard on themselves and about the way they look. And actually just getting to the gym and even just doing half an hour really easy, you've got to sort of take small steps. I think people think, I want to go to the gym, I want to do a really hard an hour or an hour and a half. Mm. It's too much, especially if you haven't done anything for a while. Go, write it in your diary, sort of put yourself yeah. a little slot, like a, like a meeting. Yeah. Go in, just do half an hour, just really easy. Even if it's just sitting on the bike, just getting yourself into a routine of doing something. And then you grow on that as you go in. But I don't think women should be 
worried about how they look and that they weren't in this the place they are. I mean, I'm not happy with my body at the minute, but I can't really do anything because I've had operations. But I'm just I'm still going in and doing something really gentle. Not to put you on the spot, but if I if you know I had half an hour, Gemma has half an hour. What what's something really simple that can be done? Um, I'm, everyone's into this hit training at the minute, but I'm, I'm in two minds about that because if that's all you're doing, mm. you're going to drain your adrenals and you're going to get really ill. So I would do sort of like interval sprints, if on the bike or on the runner machine, mm-hmm. or just do some a very short weights program. I mean, women don't do enough weights, mm-hmm. and that's very good for your metabolic rate, for your bone density, and for actually giving you more energy. So I think a lot of women should maybe just come and do half an hour of just weights and supersetting it, which just means two exercises back to back. Okay. Do it upper and lower. Yeah. And then just do that for half an hour and just get yourself strong. You're not going to get massive. Mm. A lot of women are yeah, scared they're going to get totally big. Yeah, weight totally changed my life. I was always mm. a runner and then started doing some weight training a year ago. And within three months, doing two two 45-minute sessions a week, I toned up in a in a way that I'd never toned up with running. I'm a big advocate of if you want to be smart with your exercise and get toned quickly, yeah. get the, get down the gym, do the weights, I would say. And <laughs> running just takes it out of your joints. It really wrecks mm. your legs. Yeah, don't say that yeah. doing a half marathon in October yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just get some weights as well get your joints strong I think there's also something about as somebody who is definitely possibly I think the word could be described as rather flabby right now and has never ever been thin about three three and a half years ago I decided I was going to take myself in hand I was going to go to the gym and I was going to get a personal trainer and I emailed my gym and I specifically requested a woman and they came back and they said, okay, so we're going to put you in touch with Ollie and you'll meet him at this time. And I said, no, I wanted a woman. And I looked him up and there was Ollie, little Ollie Love, bless him, like this kind of six foot two blonde Adonis. (laughs) And I was like, there is no way I am training with that. That's just too embarrassing. I can't do it. And I went and met him and the loveliest man you've ever met. Such a nice guy. And he gave me so much confidence. Mm. And not once, the whole time I trained with him, not once did he make it about losing weight. Mm. He made it about how do you get stronger? How do you get faster? How do you get fitter? You couldn't do that a week ago. Now you can do this. I'm so proud of you. And it really changed how I felt about exercise. And we make exercise so much about our weight actually it's about what your body can do Mm. and when you start to look at it that way you stop really thinking about what do I look like in my lululemons (laughs) and you start thinking oh my god I just lifted something I didn't think I could lift that's amazing so and locking into how you're feeling when you're leaving the gym because you feel so good feeling strong is amazing right I feel like I totally yeah get what you're saying about you know your boxing and feeling strong and capable and yeah Mm. So our final problem this week comes from Sarah and Sarah has uh, a work colleague and she says, I have a work colleague and we're very good friends. I love her a lot, but she is drinking too much. I didn't really notice it kind of crept up on us. We go out at lunchtime and we might have a glass of wine with lunch, but suddenly we're now going out and she's having a bottle and nothing to eat. How do I talk to her about it? I'm really worried about her. Also, this they work together mm. so they've got the double pressure it's not just a friend it's also a work colleague it's affecting her performance what does she do now what do you think so there's a couple of things i guess there's the what should you functionally do and that is you you know from a work perspective you have to talk to hr um and you you need to to, to let them know um if you think it really is an issue and a health issue and a, a work risk um from a friend perspective I think I would just broach it directly. I would say, look, um, 
you know, I've noticed that your drinking has increased and it's increased not just on a Friday. This isn't a Friday, Saturday blowout. This is midweek and then you're going back to work. Um, how are you feeling? You know, are you, is this, is this something that you feel comfortable with? And then you kind of can see whether defensiveness comes in or, or not. And if you feel like you're saying something and actually it's just not being heard, because sometimes when your friends say stuff, you don't hear it in the right way, then it might just be about giving them the information. And I did this with a, with a housemate once, actually. I She had some issues and I said, you know, here's the information. You're an adult. It's up to you to make the decision, but I can't do this for you. And then you have to leave it with them. I'm almost a bit like, actually, everyone's an adult. So, yeah. And there is a point with particularly with addiction where we have to look after ourselves as well as the other person. Kathy, mm. particularly with CBT, that's often used in treating problems like this. Is that something that we could be pointing her towards or do you think there are first steps that she should be taking? Um, CBT is, is really good, but obviously the initial contact has to be on a personal level with you too to sit down and go, I'm really worried about the amount that you're drinking. Is there anything I can do to help? Is there mm. anything wrong? And actually just trying to encourage her to talk. Um, going to HR obviously is a, is a bigger step. Um, I had a friend who was in, in this position, um, this is before I did CBT, and I actually got her in touch with the AA, um, uh, which she went to once, and then, but she didn't want to do it. She didn't want to help herself, and I tried to introduce her to therapy. So it, it's very difficult because everybody's very different. Everybody responds in a different way. There's never one fixed rule for it. Mm. You've got to kind of work with what they're saying. But sitting and talking to them initially is so important, and yeah. just saying that you're really worried and trying to do it in a way that you're not, they're not feeling under attack. Because as soon as they feel attacked, they get defensive. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm not drinking enough. Yeah, that's the defensiveness. I once had a, a friend who had a uh, used to do dr- drugs recreationally and then that got really out of control and it was it was just way too much. And she really wasn't really listening to me. And I didn't, you know, when you just don't want to tell people off, you don't want to be judgmental. And I actually wrote her a really heartfelt letter and it was mainly me just observing how her drug habit had changed and voicing that I was a little bit concerned and is she okay? And I, I wrote her the letter to let her read that and digest it to avoid mm. the confrontation and actually that letter just tr- totally made her sort herself out it was that awareness mm. just from that one letter mm. Emma I think that's a beautiful idea yeah. thank you very much um, big thank you to our guest this week Kathy the bitch <laughs> we have loved having you please come back again um, and as ever if you've got a problem or you want something just some help or some advice or just a different viewpoint do get in touch you can find us at Badass Women's Hour HR at Badass Women's Hour on Twitter Instagram Facebook all the social Come talk to us. We love to hear from you. Coming up on the show, we've still got our backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about, except you kind of know this one, and she is awesome. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Welcome to the Badass Women's Hour. Three women, one hour. All the opinions we can muster and a whole load of badass here on Talk Radio. I'm Harriet Minter. I'm joined by my co-host, Emma Sexton, Natalie Campbell. And it's the time of of our show where we talk about a backdated badass, a woman from history that you absolutely need to know about. Uh, This week's is brought to us by journalist and author Kate Lever. Hi, Kate. Hi, Harriet. How are you? Good, thank you. Tell us, who are you talking about today? Uh, Today, I'm going to talk about Jane Austen, one of my all-time favourites. Um, she's in the news, of course, this week because her face, her lovely face, is on uh, the £10 note now. Um, and, of course, it is actually the 200th anniversary of her death, 
which I think is really interesting that we seem to be celebrating um, a lot the the anniversary of her death. There's a statue going up in Basingstoke as well. Um, and we know we have a shortage of statues of famous, wonderful women So and certainly badasses. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's wonderful. But are we celebrating it? Because I was thinking a few years ago, it was the 400th anniversary of Shakespeare's death or birth. I can't remember quite which one. Mm. Um, and it... It was everywhere. There were productions everywhere. Mm. The BBC did a whole thing about yeah. it. Are we giving her the same level of attention? Um, I think probably overall, absolutely not. Um, I think William Shakespeare gets no shortage of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think it's really interesting, particularly with this with this note that's supposed to kind of mark this anniversary that they haven't even done that properly. I mean, as I'm sure you've you've read this week. Uh, tell us um, a little bit about what was happening with the ten pound note. Yeah, so she's the first female author to appear and the second ever woman, um, which is great in itself. And I'm pleased that she's there. I think it's a little feminist victory that we can count um, for our cause. However, nothing is perfect. Um, She's basically, the the photograph or the portrait that they've used of her is basically um, a product of the 19th century's version of Photoshop. So Mm. there's been a lot of complaints that she was airbrushed, which of course is an interesting choice of picture um, for for a woman um, and for, for the first female author to be on a note. Um, the other peculiar thing um, is the quote that they've chosen. And there are so many quotes that you could have chosen for Jane Austen. She was a writer by trade. You know, there, there's no shortage of quotes. Mm-hmm. But they've actually chosen one um, that is from Pride and Prejudice, which says, I declare, after all, there is no enjoyment like reading, which is very true. There is no enjoyment like reading, but... As fa- as fans of Jane Austen's work were very quick to point out, that quote is actually um, said by a character called Caroline Bingley. So if you remember from Pride and Prejudice, she's a total snake in the grass. Mm. Um, she's a-, a character who has no interest in reading whatsoever and actually says that line to Mr. Darcy in an effort to cozy up to him. Um, so it's kind of this disingenuous, flirtatious line that actually has nothing to do with the love of literature. Mm. So um, I'm, I'm sure someone who chose that quote might argue that it was kind of tongue-in-cheek or there are several different layers of meaning to it or that sort of thing. But to me, it seems like a peculiar choice. Um, so w- it's fabulous that she's on this note, but there have been some controversies. Um, not to mention as well that the Commons leader, Andrea Leadsom, uh, referred to her as one of our greatest living authors. <laughs> she was briefly revived. <laughs> so the thing that I always find um, interesting about Jane Austen is that quite often she gets written off as somebody who is really a sort of quite lightweight, you know, even though she's used in GCSEs, we sort of write her off as someone who did nice the early days of chiclet, but actually a yeah. serious social commentary. Mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think she was preoccupied both in life and in her work with this idea that women had to marry for money um, and, and just how trapping and prohibitive that was for women in the Georgian era. Um, and I think the fact that she kind of sent up the gentry and played with this, this idea of women being revolutionary enough to marry for love like Elizabeth Bennett, for example, ultimately did. Um, that's serious social commentary in that time. And just because it's about love and romance and marriage, I don't think it makes it lightweight at all. Um, and I think you're absolutely right. I think we underestimate her and quite regularly. And she didn't get married, did she? She was sort of happily no. just writing her novels. In fact, she turned down a number of proposals, including one from 
a very suitable young man who had a mansion with him. She actually accepted it and turned it down the next day. Um, and as historian Lucy Worsley was saying um, in her book that's come out this year, Jane Austen at Home, um, it seems as though, perhaps wishful thinking from a historian's point of view, but it seems as though it might have been because that coincided with a book deal of hers. So she was mm. financially independent to actually you know, choose to turn down a man uh, with financial prospects. And I just think that's... That, for me, is true badassery. She didn't conform to society. She made her own money. She lived her life as she wanted it. And she made her own choices. Um, And she rewrote social niceties. Oh, most definitely. We were talking about this uh, a while ago, but there was a couple of articles saying, talking about the fact that she was, you know, she died a spinster and possibly a virgin. And we were like, and she, but she... Uh, lived this quite um, sexual-ish life within her books and I think the conclusion we came to was actually no she probably wasn't a virgin as per her diary what she what she put all of the bonking that she was doing in her books because she didn't want it in her diary in case anyone actually read it um, so I, I don't know but I, I like the fact that uh, we just we just don't know because she was so smart about the way she told stories that include her life but not and her diary yeah you know. there's also an article this week about the the female game and about how you know when Darcy comes out of the does he come out of the come river of the with lake. it yeah like and it's really <laughs> unique it's really yeah. unique to have that kind of female take on you know a male object of desire so yeah I so. love you Ems you know that's not in the book it was just in the BBC adaptation is that true <laughs> is it not described in the book though no, is it not sweetheart. described in the book no. Oh, well, <laughs> anyway, we like the female game. Yeah, apparently Mr. Darcy would not have looked like Colin Firth in his prime either. Oh, man. Really? A bit of artistic license, I think, is absolutely fine in that case. <laughs> favourite Jane Austen? What's everyone's favourite Jane Austen? Mm, I do really love Sense and Sensibility. Mm. I've always got a soft spot I've for that. I've never read a Jane Austen. <laughs> you shock me, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> not at school. No? No, we did Shakespeare. Oh, fair enough. Northanger Abbey. I think huh? you'd like Northanger Abbey. Okay. All right, then. Um, Kate, Lever, thank you so much for sharing your backdated badass with us. Uh, as ever, if you've got somebody, someone in history that you think should be a backdated badass, you should tweet us and tell us at Badass Women's Hour or come on the show and share them with us. We always like to hear more. And if you're a fan of our backdated badass this week, then you should know the Times Literary Supplement has a bookazine out featuring critiques, analysis, essays all about Jane Austen uh, from the likes of E.M. Forster and Virginia Woolf, plus many, many others. And that is available on Amazon right now for $9.99. This week, we're doing something a little extra as well, because as well as a backdated badass, we're going to do just some shout outs to some serious badasses who have have achieved some stuff this week. Nat, who have we got? So the first shout out goes to Jodie Whittaker. So we started off talking about Doctor Who at the top of the show and we got so into the BBC pay gap um, that we didn't really highlight the fact that she is the first, the 13th uh, Doctor and she's a woman and it's amazing. Woohoo, um, Jodie! The <laughs> next one is Baroness Hale. She has just been announced as the first uh, female leader of the Supreme Court. Go Baroness Hale! Amazing! Uh, I then want to shout out the Lionesses. They will be playing and it will be broadcast on Channel 4. That's our our, our football team, for those (laughs) of you that that don't know. Badass. Um, And I also want to shout out Women's Cricket, which is being broadcast on the BBC at the moment. And check out Harman Preet Kaur. She is um, a player on the Indian uh, team and she is smashing some records. So those are four women that we say salute 
some brilliant women doing some badass stuff this week um and as ever we're coming towards the end of our show and we like to leave you with a little something to think about in the coming week our badass principles live your life by in the next seven days uh now what is the principle this week the badass principle this week is release it and it was inspired by something kathy said she said suppression is toxic and as soon as she she said that it was almost like someone slapped me around the face and dragged me out the chair and threw me outside because it's so true suppression is toxic and if things are going on you almost you have to release it find a way to release it I'm an awful, awful person. I've just gone farting in my head. But no, that's not what we mean. (laughs) (laughs) Only you, Rach. Only me. Emma, what is it for you? Uh, I'd absolutely 100%. I think all that's gone on this week in terms of like, you know, the BBC releasing, you know, those figures, I think the more open and transparent we mm. are, the, the better, like Kathy was saying, you know, actually being really honest. I mean, you know, us three, we're quite honest if we're having mm. a bad day, but like, oh, I'm feeling a bit down today. And being really open about that, yeah, I just think is so important. And, you know, we we just really underestimate the power of being really vulnerable and open about the fact that you're not happy today, you are a bit sad. And that being just as important as trying to be happy every day is, you know, acknowledge your, sh- your sad days because that's all all part of it. So, yeah, Thank good you. one. And I think for me, it's also about actually just letting go of the stuff that maybe you've hung on to and it's no longer serving you. Mm. Oh, you know, yeah. if you've got little some grudges, some people you're a bit angry at. Now is the time to just... Let them go. Maybe get down to Kathy's class and box them out, yeah. I reckon. Fart on them. <laughs> Put a picture of their face on. Well, Harriet on started them. with the fart. This is my fault. I started this. I should have known where it was going to go. Oh, <laughs> so this is all from the Badass Women's Hour this week. But we will be back here on Talk Radio next week. Same time, same place. But if you want to talk to us in the meantime, because we do love it when you talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at Badass Women's Hour, HR at Badass Women's Hour, or on Facebook or on Instagram, all the socials. Or you can talk to us individually, me at Harriet Minter, Nat at Nat D. Campbell and Emma at Emma Sexton. And we'll be back here again on Talk Radio next week. Badass Women's Hour with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues 
your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 